And so this week, week two of our Advent, is specifically about that. The, the week two, now here's what I want to preference all of this with, is that um, if you go and study the Advent, okay, you're going to find different uh, setups. So, you know, if you go look it up, week two, some people call it faith week. Some have the peace week and the love week flipped. So there's no rhyme or, there are rhyme and reason to why they do that, but there is no, um, well, it has to be done this way. It, it, it is set up, and that's the whole thing about tradition, is that tradition is what they've learned. And so one person's tradition of Advent may be a little bit different than another person's tradition of Advent. Um, for us, what I love is, is the, the second week being called the, the Love Week candle, and um, it's probably the most... Uh, when you look it up and study it, most people uh, go by this being the love week, also known as the Bethlehem candle. The reason why it's called the Bethlehem candle is because it, uh, it remembers uh, the, the significance of Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem in preparation for Jesus' birth. I'm going to read you the, the quote that I started with last week from Henry Nguyen, and it says this, the Lord is coming, always coming. When you have ears to hear, and eyes to see, you will recognize him at any moment in your life. Life is Advent. Life is recognizing the coming of the Lord. The word Advent means arrival or coming. And so when we celebrate Advent, we celebrate it in two ways. One, we remember the fact that Jesus came as a, as a baby boy to, to make a difference here on earth, but we also are in anticipation of a coming king that will... Uh, Wrap all this up, you know, Jesus coming back on the white horse, Jesus coming back as, as the savior and, and protector of his people and drawing them up to heaven. And so we celebrate what Jesus did in the birth and, and actually giving us the proper relationship with God, but we also are in anticipation of what God is yet to do. So this week, and, and before we get too started, got to make sure that I, so we light our candle from last week. And then we light the love candle. Now, if you do this at home, you're, I was reading up yesterday, you're technically supposed to light it every single day during that week and you let the candle burn down. We don't, I'm not, that's not gonna stay lit. Um, <laughs> not trying to burn the church down. Um, but each week we, we add a candle to it in significance of Advent and the coming and the arrival of Jesus. I want to read out of Luke the beginning of the story of Mary and being called as Jesus' mom. In Luke 1, 26 through 30, and I'll be reading out of the New King James Version with this one, it says this, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel, said, uh, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I want to pause. Uh, I'm going to read verse 38 in just a minute, but I want you to kind of catch what happened here. An angel shows up to Mary, and, and, and we kind of glance over the fact of how scandalous this is, right? 
So Mary's a virgin. She's betrothed. She's engaged to or given to Joseph. And this angel shows up, and the first thing that the angel says is, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, that would seem like the, the elicited response would be like, Wow. Okay. What's happening here? This is really cool. Like, what's, like an angel shows up and says, Sean, blessed are you among men. You're going to be like, cool. <laughs> like, that's awesome. But listen to Mary's response. Mary's response was not one of, like, entertaining the thought. It was not one of, of, of honor in, in the fact of what the angel said. Listen to her response. It says, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered the manner of greeting in which it was. She was confused. She was concerned. Like, an angel shows up and says, Deanne, highly favored among women. What do you want from me? Right? It's like when the husband comes in and is like, dang, babe, you look cute. What do you want? It's, 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 not, it's not like, you know, there's nothing. Nobody ever expects just anything. I, I tell my wife all the time, can't I just say I love you and you look good? Like it's, it's, there's always this like, okay, what do you want from me? She was confused at this moment because an angel shows up and says, you're highly faithful. She's thinking, who am I that I'm, I, I'm not some princess. I'm not, I'm not well-known within the community. I'm not this to-do person. I'm not rich. I don't come from these, this kind of family. So why is this angel showing up in my house and telling me that I'm highly favored among women and that I'm blessed by God? Her response was probably more real than we would like to imagine because we would like to give the Christian answer, the churchy answer, right? Oh, if an angel showed up and called me, I'd be like, oh, Jesus. No, I'd be like, what the heck? Why? Why? I'm, I'm nobody. Why are you even in my house? It's the same response that Gideon gave. It's the same response over and over in the Bible that we see people going, I am not worthy to be called of God. But here's the cool part. You skip from 30 to 38, and this is what happens. There's some conversation. Uh, there's the whole, you know, you're going to birth a child and not get pregnant thing, which is, you know, would probably freak me out too. Just be real, right? But Luke 138, I love her response. After the angel explains all that's going to happen, after the angel explains her purpose, in this process, her purpose in the story. I love her response. Mary's response in Luke 138 says, then Mary said, behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I love that response. And, and really that's gonna be the focus of, of what I wanna speak about tonight is her response to the calling and purpose of God. Her, her response to all that God, through the angel, had spoken to her. We are so used to transactional love, which says, I will do for you in return what you have done for me. Right? We're used to transactional love. We're, we're used to this, if, if you show me love, then, then I will show you love in return. But if you do me wrong, then I'm going to cut off that relationship or I'm going to do wrong to you. And so what we're used to is this idea that I give what has been given to me. 
And God comes and he flips this whole idea of love on its head, from, really from the very beginning. If you read Genesis, there's no lack of love in the Old Testament. We, 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 we see it and we see all this judgment. We see all this, this stuff in the Old Testament. Well, God you know, condemns and judges and this and that. There's a lot of grace and mercy and love in the Old Testament. And I guarantee you that if you go back and you read the Old Testament through the lens of, of really looking for it, you're going to find all these times where God was faithful and loving to his people. I mean, I just think, I just go back to Moses. When Moses called out, uh, was called into ministry and he led millions of people out of uh, slavery and they started acting a fool and God's like, we're done, we'll start over. <laughs> you know, he, he was like Beyonce, I can make another of them. Okay, it's all good, we're okay. But Moses goes, no, 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 God, 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 remember you're, you're loving and kind? And he goes, okay, fine, we'll give him another. And then there were times where Moses went to God and said, just kill them all, it's okay. Just take them. Listen, I'm done. Start anew. We'll, we'll find new Israelites. It's okay. Take them. And God would be like, no, Moses, we're good. Over and over again. If God was just condemning and judgmental in the Old Testament, David would not have been forgiven and been called. And here's what I love about this. How many have ever heard David been called the man after God's own heart, right? We hear that. But do we, do we put into category the fact that he's called that after he cheats has a baby with somebody else's wife and then kills the man. After all of that, God looks at David and says, because you have gotten right with me, you are a man after my own heart. Only person in the Bible that we know that he says that to. So many scenes of God's love through the Old Testament. But we're used to transactional love because that's what we see here. And God has always set a different standard of love. It's, it's if if you love first, simple and plain, just love first. Then out of that love, your actions are created. See, I don't, I don't respond to God's love because I'm afraid of punishment. I don't respond to, to God's purpose and calling in my life because I'm afraid that if I don't, he won't be happy with me. It's the fact that God loves me first. And I sit in that love and I understand that God loves me and I understand that there's nothing I can do to earn that love. There's nothing that I can do to make him love me more and there's nothing I can do to make him love me less. He loves me. Now, with that being said, I don't want this to be a miss. That, that, does that mean that I can just go and live my life and do whatever I want? No. Matter of fact, Paul in Romans says like, no, great, you can't cheapen grace. What I mean by that is you can't just go, well, God will forgive me if I just go and do this stuff. If I live in sin, it's okay because all I got to do is at my bedtime prayer say, God, forgive me. That's, that's cheap grace. You're prostituting the heart of God. And, and, and when you do that, you, you, you make a mockery of what Jesus went to the cross for. Now, will he forgive you of your sins when your heart is, and here's the biggest part of it. And I think that we've got to remember this. Your words are cheap, but your heart isn't. I mean, I can say all day long, God, forgive me. But if my heart doesn't line up with that, right? What does Romans 9, uh, 10, 9, and 10 say? We, we, here's, here's the American church, and, 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 and I'll be real. At the end of messages, right, we're all sitting here. We're like, oh, the message moved me. And, they, and then the pastor gets up and says, if you want to believe, if you want to have salvation, just repeat this prayer after me. And we repeat this prayer because we think that that's what Romans 10, 9, and 10 says. That's not what it says. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this. If you believe in your heart and then confess with your mouth, See, it's not the confessing in your, with your mouth that's important. It's the belief in your heart. 
And, and that's the thing about grace is that it's not just being able to say, God, forgive me. It's, it's truly believing in your heart. God will forgive you. And the thing about forgiveness is we don't cheapen forgiveness if we change our actions, right? If as husband and wife, if, if, if you constantly did the same thing over and over again and they constantly kept back and saying, oh, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. At some point, you're going to go like, no, like you keep doing the same stupid thing. Forgiveness has to come with a, a change of, of heart, a change of attitude and a change of our action. And so, yes, God's love is, is forever the same, but our actions to the love is what's important in the response. I move out of love, not to get it, not to keep it. So 1 John 4, 9 through 12 says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. I love that line. His love is, is brought to full expression in us. When we show off God's love, when we care for people, when we love one another, God's full expression of love is then sent through us and lived through us. But you have to go back to the core part, is that this, is that you didn't choose God, he chose you. That's what the Bible says. It says real love is not that, that we loved God and so therefore he loves us back. It's that he loved us. He died while we were still a mess. Like in your worst day, God said, I'm still dying for that. I'm still gonna send my son to go to the cross and I'm gonna die for your sins and your mistakes and your struggles so that you don't have to do this alone. So I've got two thoughts today and that's it. And the first one is a pretty simple thought. It's God so loved. God so loved. If we can't get anything else about our faith down, it's that God loves us. It's that, it's that God cares for you. And we have to get past this idea that it's transactional. Like when you have a bad day, God somehow doesn't forgive you or care for you or love you. God is a just God, right? So he is going to correct us. Correction is not a bad thing. <laughs> I know in this day and age, sometimes it feels bad. Like, oh, you're going to hurt their little psyches. Well, hopefully their psyche is attached to their butt. <laughs> and we can help that get back right where it needs to be. But we do, we, we are so concerned about the feeling that we have forgotten to shape somebody's character and to shape somebody's life comes with some hurt. It comes with some, listen, correcting should never feel good. Like, oh, you did really bad, here's a sucker. <laughs> what? Like, hey, you did really bad, you want a $100 bill? Like, we, we have this view, like, if it, if it feels bad, then it can't be good. No, if it feels bad, it could be correcting. If we're walking through something that, that may be a season of tough time, it may be because God's trying to reveal something in us and pull something out of us. And so it's not that, that love has to look and feel emotionally good all the time. That's transactional, right? What did, what did John 3.16 say? For this is how God loves the world. He gave his one and only son. You think that, that's, that that would feel good to God? Like, if we're just going purely emotional, 
purely feel good? Why would that be the plan? God's one and only son, Jesus, the second part of the the Godhead, I'm gonna send you to earth and I'm gonna have you live the life of humanity. And hey, by the way, the only way to redeem humanity back in relationship with us is that you die on the cross, that you feel pain, that, that you have three nails driven through your body after you've been beaten with the cat of nine tails and had your flesh ripped open and your beard pulled out. That's what I'm gonna do to my one and only true son. That doesn't feel good. That doesn't sound good. You couldn't pay me enough money or convince me enough that I would ever put my children through that, ever. And yet that is the, listen, this wasn't plan B for us. Like it wasn't like, oh God, Adam and Eve, they messed up this whole plan. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Jesus, what are we gonna do? I got an idea. You're gonna suffer for him. Like if that was the idea, like I could imagine Jesus up in this meeting going, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Holy Spirit said he'll go. Like, could you imagine that? Like, if, if, if it was just a plan B, like an afterthought, I would have been like, nope. I heard the angel Gabriel or Michael were willing to give up their life, but me, God? Like, I'm, I'm the prince. The fresh prince of heaven. I ain't going down. Don't send me. But it was plan A. If you, listen, if God didn't know what Adam and Eve were going to do, then he's really not God, right? He wasn't surprised. He made humanity knowing that Adam and Eve were going to make a mistake and that Eve was going to eat the fruit and then offer it to Adam and Adam was going to be like, oh, this onion is great. By the way, that's totally my theology is that it was the onion that grew on the tree um, and it was supposed to be sweet and their sin made it horrible. Really is. But God sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And I love verse 17. Verse 17 says this, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. If anybody ever tells you God is a judgmental God, you can tell him, no, that was never God's plan. John 3.16 says that he sent his son into the world so so that right relationship could be made. But he follows that up with, it was never meant to judge the world, but to save them. Now, will judgment come upon those that choose not to follow and, and choose, Jesus, or choose Jesus as the way? Sure, but that was not God's plan. God's plan is that everybody would see his love and choose his love and recognize his love. And whether it's, whether it's humanity that has hurt them in that relationship with God or whether they just can't get past the fact that they can't see him, touch him, feel him, whether it's their own hurt that they've walked through, how could a good, loving God do this to me? God's plan was always to save the world through Jesus. C.S. Lewis wrote in a book, he wrote a book called The Four Loves. And in that, he described one of the loves as gift love. Gift love is the opposite of transactional love. Gift love is the kind of love which neither expects nor requires reciprocation. It's the love, the best way, that, especially during this season, I can give you is, is when a parent gives a Christmas gift to a child, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're buying gifts right now. You don't think about buying that gift with going, well, what is my 11-year-old son going to buy for me? <laughs> now, my son actually has money. He could buy me a gift. Um, <laughs> I'm just, but, but listen, there's, I have more money than him. He can't outbuy me. 
he can't outpay for everything he's just gotten this year alone. So if it's a, if it's a tit for tat, if it's a money for money, like he, he loses, hands down. And I'm a winner, so I will always outbid people. I win. Um, so we don't do that. I don't go, well, you know, he's probably going to buy me like a $10 gift, so that's all he's getting for Christmas. No. It's saying, I love my kids so much that I'm willing to take hard-earned money and I'm willing to give it to them. It's not investing. Let's be real. Gifts are not investments. <laughs> They're just not. I just took a whole bunch of gifts over the last 10 years and I just stuck them in the attic. We literally just did that. I probably carried a box of hundreds of dollars worth of Hot Wheels straight up to the attic. But it's not about that. It's just about the fact that I love our kids and I want them to have that joy of, of opening up gifts and I want, them to, I want them to have that moment where they just enjoy. Now, is it, it's nowhere near this on the same level of God's love, but it's, there's nothing in return. I'm not going, well, you know, I really hope that he buys me this thing for my guitar. No. I really wish that he would use some money to fix my Jeep. No. Okay? It's none of that. It's purely, I love you, so here. And that's what gift love is. It's, it's, it's not, the giver doesn't give with the idea of getting in return. And that's God. He didn't give his son with the thought of, well, what am I gonna get in return? The only thing he wanted in return was you. The only thing he asked for is, is that you would choose his love and that you would live within that love. It was a, it's a gift love. Love that sent Jesus as a baby boy, but it's the same love that held him on the cross. That love. The Bible says that he could have called down tens of thousands of angels to, get, to pull him off the cross. Satan, when he tempts him in the 40 days and 40 nights, he says, you could call down angels to save you. If you jump from this, this high place, the angels could come and save you in a moment. So it wasn't that he couldn't do it. It's the fact that Jesus chose love chose you and chose that relationship over comfortability. Transactional love would never do that. It never would. Transactional love says, don't make me uncomfortable. It does, right? Transactional love says, I'm, look, I'm in this relationship as a friend until it gets really uncomfortable. How uncomfortable can it get? You know, like, he's, he's like, sit on my lap. I don't care. Like, we're, we're good on friendship level until it gets uncomfortable and gets hard. Well, Rodney said this, some, said this about me, and I know he probably didn't mean it that way, but I took it this way, and so, you know, now I'm hurt. And so now I'm going to take my, my love, my friendship away because I don't feel good anymore. Could you imagine if God did that to us? Could you imagine if God said, you know, I know I sent my son to die on the cross for you, but you hurt me? Because you hurt me, I'm going to take my love away. And now you're on your own to fend for yourself. Yeah. That would hurt. That, 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 would, that would really suck. And the reality is, is that we're so thankful that God wouldn't do it. And yet we, in turn, do it not only to him, but to others all the time. This is the thing about love. God so loved that he didn't think about the consequences of a world that would turn on him. He didn't think about the consequences of the fact that, that many people won't believe. He didn't think about that because all he cared about was, I hope that at least one does. 
I say it all the time, but if, if, if you were the only one that ever was to, to, to be okay with God's love and live and, uh, and, and choose his love, he would have done it just for you. He would have done it just for me. Because he was, he, was, he was a good God that wants people to be in relationship with him. John 15, 12 through 13 says this. This is my commandment. This is Jesus speaking. He says, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Jesus says, the greatest thing you can do is love people the way that I've loved you. Some of us need a refresher of what it means for Jesus to love. And, and, and to, I remember when I was 21 years old, and I was, uh, I was pastoring, um, I was a youth pastor in Stockton, California, and I remember coming back from work one day, I was going into the office after lunch, and I just was sitting in my truck, and, and I, I forget what, I was thinking about something, and God just said, what if you just focused on me a little bit more? I was like, huh. Because how many, I mean, listen, it's humanity. It's normal for us to, to, get, to get stuck on, oh, I'm sinning too much. Oh, I'm a failure. I make mistakes. I this and that. How could God accept me? How could God love me? How could, how could, how could? Because that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to think down about yourself. He wants you to think that you're not good enough. He wants you to think that there's nothing that you could do to, listen, you don't matter in that sense. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that you don't hold eternity's value. Jesus does. And so, Jesus, so, so in that conversation, God said, what if you just spoke more highly of me and just spoke and studied more about me? And so I went back to the Gospels and I started reading the Gospels again. And I started reading about Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And I started to read about who Jesus was to them and what Jesus did in, uh, while he was here on earth. And it is amazing when you put the focus back on the proper place, which is Jesus, how much you can learn just from his life. And he says, listen, Love each other the same way I have loved you. If you don't recognize that, go back to the Gospels and read how Jesus loved people. Read about it. When he says, pray for your enemies. Even as I said that, some of you were like, oh, you don't know my enemy. Has your enemy strung you up to a pole and hit you with a cat of nine tails yet? I think you're good then. Right, like... Has your flesh been ripped out by jar clays and glass, ripped, you know, tied to leather? No. Have they ripped your beards out? If you don't have beards, that's fairly easy to say no to. The reality, have they, have they called you demon-possessed? They did to Jesus. In church. Jesus was in church, and they said, that man's demon-possessed. And he goes, I don't even know how that's possible. That's paraphrased, by the way. It's in the Scott message translation. So, but they, I mean, literally, he, he got up and he said, how can, how can this, how, how can this even be? It's not possible that I'm demon possessed. And yet they did. They called him, they called him demon possessed. They called him everything under the sun. They mocked him. Oh, Prince of the Jews, which sounds like nothing to us, but I mean, that would have been pretty, pretty hefty making fun of for him. The reality is, is that in all of that, he still said, love them. What it, he's hanging on the cross, and what is his words to his father? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And if any of us were Jesus on that cross, I know what I would have been thinking. Father, send lightning bolts just to give me some enjoyment while I'm here. This is why we're thankful we're not God, and he is. 
Because in the process of his worst day, he was saying, God, forgive them. God, still show them your love. Because God, even that Roman guard who just, who, who just put me on this cross, I want him to know your love. Love them like I love you. If we can learn anything during this season and during this, this conversation of Advent, especially on love, is we need to start loving people the way that Jesus loved people. And it's not being a doormat. It's not being a rollover. It, it is simply stating that God's love is far more important than my emotional feeling in the moment. God's purpose is far more important of whether I feel good or feel bad or whether I have a good day or a bad day. God's purpose is far more important than that. God's love is far more important than that. God's purpose for my life cannot be day-to-day functionality. What I mean by that is this, is that if I have a good day, I'm willing to walk in his purpose. But if I have a bad day, then I allow it to affect me. And, oh, I can't be used by God. And, oh, I'm not God's purpose. And I'm not this and that. Listen, we are not called to be bipolar Christianity. We're not. And I'm not knocking bipolar people that, that, that literally, you know, they, they struggle with mental health. I'm not saying, but I'm saying as far as our faith walk goes, we can't wake up every morning and go, am I a good Christian or am I a fallen Christian? Am I a good person or am I a bad person? You are either walking in faith or you're not. So every day I wake up, man, God, help me to give me a purpose for today. Help me to give me focus for the day. Help me to walk in your love today because I know that if I walk in my own strength, I am going to be jaded be hurt, and I'm not going to show your love to everybody. And so God, help us to live out that John 15. God, this is, this is my commandment. I mean, this isn't, this isn't an optional. Cole, when you feel good, show his love. But, eh, you know, those days where everybody's annoying you, psh, sock him in the face. No. This is my commandment. Love each other the way I have loved you. The second thought. After we understand that this whole foundation of faith is laid out by his love. Is the three little words that Mary said to the angel, let it be. Let it be. Mary gives herself to God, not out of compulsion, not out of duty, not out of strain, but out of love. Because remember her first response. Whoa, what are you doing in my house? How can, what are you, I, what do you mean highly favored? She was suspect of the angel, right? She's like, something's up. Yep. But when she hears, listen, if, if an angel would have showed up and I'm already suspect and then, and then the angel says, by the way, you're going to have a kid and you haven't even had, you know, done anything to get that. <laughs> I don't think that that would have gotten me closer to God's purpose in my life. I'm like, wait a minute, I was already suspect of you. Now you're telling me that there's a child inside of here? I don't know about that, God. You need to leave. And so instead, after hearing the angel speak of what was going to happen, her words were, let it be as you have spoken. The gift love of God produced love in Mary. Let me tell you what love leads to. Love leads to obedience. It leads to sacrifice. It leads to purpose, passion, faith, and, and, and probably one of the most important things it leads to is presence. I think of relationships, right? Long-distance relationships suck. If you've never been in one, they suck. 
<laughs> Amen? Amen. Amen. Morgan and Craig. They, they do. I mean, because here's the deal. You, you can get some of what you need out of it, but it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't fulfill all that, you know, and, it, and it's not just the, oh, I want to kiss them. Oh, I want it, to. It's the simple things like I want to I go to dinner with them, like not FaceTime them while I'm eating dinner. There's a difference, right? It's still the same thing. Still food is involved and I still see them, but it's completely different. You know, it's, it's being able to walk downtown and hold hands. It's, it's being able to be in the same place, connected in, in the same way. Long distance, it's here's a screen or here's a phone or, you know, back in the day, you know, email, chat, mm, yay. It, it's, it's never fulfilling enough. There's something that is special about being in the presence of the ones you love. And so with God's love, when we say, God, I will let it be in my life the way that you want it because of your love, you get, you, you get the sense of his presence in, his, in your life. And his presence will allow you to walk through some of the toughest, hardest times. It will also elevate the good moments. Love led to obedience. I want you to put yourself in Mary's place for a moment. Because it's real easy to talk about the Christmas story and we make it sound cute and flannel boardy. But the reality is, is that a young teenage girl was chosen by God to carry the, the son of God, Jesus, to bring him into this world and to raise him as her own. And so there would have been not only this trepidation of I've never done this uh, to be a mom and you want me. I mean, think about it. It's hard enough to be a parent. Every parent in the room. Amen. amen. Right. It's hard. Now, you're going to raise the Son of God. Great. <laughs> Take failure times 10. Awesome. So Mary has all of that going on in her head. Now she has to tell Joseph. And by law, Joseph had the capability of having her killed. It, it, there, wasn't, there wasn't divorce like we know it. Well, you know, it didn't work out. We're just going to hmm, go our ways. No. They weren't even necessarily, they were, they, were, they were engaged, which pretty much meant like if anything happened, Joseph had every say in it. And, and, and he could have had her killed. He could have had her taken away and far off, you know, places. There's a lot of things that Joseph could have done. So Mary had to, to, to have that conversation with Joseph. Thank God an angel stepped in in, in that part as well. Because I don't know if I would have believed anybody if that didn't happen either, you know. But, but she had to have that. And then they had to have that conversation of what life would look like. Raising Jesus. Doing it with, with purpose and knowing that they have been entrusted to this amazing moment in life. That's a heavy burden, but love led them to obedience. Love led them to sacrifice, to purpose, and to have faith. Love leads to action, but action doesn't always lead to his love. So here's what I want you to get out of this. You can love somebody and it can cause you to move, but doing something doesn't always cause you to love, okay? Just because my wife does the laundry doesn't mean I love her more. It just means that we don't have laundry laying around. Right? If I go out and mow the lawn, my wife's not like, oh man, it's butterflies. No. It doesn't mean that she loves me anymore. 
The, the reality is, is that doing stuff doesn't cause us to love, but loving does cause us to do stuff. I've talked about it before. There's things in our house that neither of us love to do. We, I mean, we, listen, nobody. I, I, don't, I haven't met a person anyways that says, oh, I love cleaning toilets. Love them. It's so amazing. It's like I get so joyous when I have to go wipe down a toilet. Like there's nothing, there's nothing exciting about that. But it has to get done, right? Like I hope so. I hope that in your house your toilets are cleaned by somebody, okay? Um, but the reality is, is this, is that nobody likes to do it. And, and isn't it a sign of love to do something that nobody likes to do but do it anyways? See, that's, that's the obedience. That's the, I'm not doing it to gain brownie points. I love my wife, so I'm willing to do the things that I don't like. And she loves me, so she's willing to do some of the things that she doesn't like. Love causes us to do things that maybe we naturally wouldn't do to serve other people so that they can see Jesus. I don't want to be nice to them. But God said that if I love him, I'll treat people like he's treated people. So even though I don't want to, I'm going to move in love and I'm going to show them God's goodness. My boss is a jerk, but you know what? I'm going to, in love, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk out and I'm going to honor him and serve him. And I'm going to do the best I can to, to be the best worker. Why? Because he deserves it. It doesn't matter what they deserve. Catch this. It does not matter what people deserve. When we love God, we move in a way that shows God's love to whether they're deservant of our actions or not. And so we treat people a certain way. Not because they deserve it, but because God has called us to. Because of obedience and sacrifice. Let it be means I submit my life to the will of God. Isaiah 1, 17 through 18. And I'm rounding third, I promise. Says this, I love, I love, I love, love, love this, uh, this verse. Says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Learn to do good. Seek justice. It's not something that we are naturally good at. I don't know anybody in here that says, yeah, I'm, I'm naturally good at seeking justice. Half the time, we're seeking justice because we feel bad. And we want justice. I mean, think, listen, being in law enforcement, I've come to realize that justice is very, very opinionated. Because what I might find as justice may not be the same as what Randy finds as justice. <laughs> Probably not. And, and my level of, 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 of acceptability of, of bad things may be different than Deanne's. I may say, well, that's horrible. And she goes, really? I mean, worse things have happened in life. <laughs> so justice is very skewed. Except for when we look at the word of God and we see what justice is painted in the pictures of, of God's word and his, and his love and his purpose for our life. And he says, listen, learn to do good. Why? Because we don't know how to do good on our own. Do you have cookies? Cookie crumbs all over your face? No. Right? How many times have you had to tell a kid, don't touch that, it's hot? You would think one time is good enough. 
One time. That's hot. What does hot mean? Oh, that's what hot means. Okay. See? The reality is, is that we have to learn to do good. We have to learn to seek justice. We have to learn to push back against the oppressors of life. And then here's the great thing. It says, and now here's the deal. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. What does that mean? It means that we need to look for people to take care of. We need to love people with God's love. And I love what it says, where it says, come now and let us reason together. In other words, grow in our understanding with the spirit that through love we are forgiven and we learn to do good and seek justice. Your faith is reasoning. It's studying. Nobody is supposed to have all the answers when it comes to their faith walk. Like, it's ridiculous to think that you can have that. You could read the Bible every single day. You could read commentaries and all sorts of books until you're dead and you will still be learning. Because we're reasoning with God's presence and his spirit to grow like him. We're reasoning with, with the very nature of God to say, make me more like you, God. Let it be is the sacrificial and obedient answer of a life found in God's love. It's saying, God, do what you want in my life and I will follow you. It's on your good days and your bad days when you feel it and when you don't feel it. His love shapes who you are, how you think, what you speak, how you treat people and what you do. Not out of fear, but because of love. It is not in fear And I put this down, I was thinking about this last night, thinking it like a tree. I don't do certain things because I'm a fear of what the fruit will be given. Right? Like, my life is going to produce bad fruit if I don't do these things. But I do it in love because of the root that is being founded. If my root system is good, the fruit's going to be good. If my root system is solid, then the fruit's going to be good. If, if I have a foundational uh, setup with Christ and in his love and with his purpose, I'm not worried about the actions of my life because they are going to naturally flow from the root system that I'm creating. And so many times we worry about what are my actions going to be and how are people going to take this and am I going to do bad things? Listen, if your root system is solid and if it's centered in love, if it's centered in his purpose and his will, and if we answer like Mary, let it be. Whatever you say, God, let it be in my life. God, wherever you lead me, let it be, I will follow. And we'll never have to worry about the fruit of our tree because our roots will be so well-grounded. I want to end with John 13, 35. It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another. It's not how many times you serve. It's not how many times you go to church. It's not how many, to- how many Bible studies you're a part of. All of those things are great, by the way. We love our life groups. We love people showing up to church. We love serving our community together. We do. But there's not going to be a checklist like Peter's up there going, hey, Morgan, how many times you go to church in 2022? Okay, well, she missed a couple, so... <sighs> You get the smaller mansion. It's not a checklist. You know, it's not transactional. If I do this, God will reward me. 
If I do this, God will love me more. If, if I do this, I'm higher up on the list. We have to swap our way of thinking. I love him. And for some of you, you need to sit there for a minute. I love him. And I need him to heal me. I love him and I need him to work out my negative mindset. I, I love him and so I need him to work through my heart issues. And I love him and, and, and you know what? I've been burnt by the church and so I need to just get healthy and see how healthy church looks. I, I love him and I just need him to speak life into me. Some of y'all need to sit there. Some of y'all do too much in the sense of you just think if I'm just busy enough, I won't have to sit with myself. So we just do. Reality is, is that if you do, but you don't sit in his love first, then all you're doing is you're working and you're hoping that that's enough to earn love and your mindset is wrong. Some of you need to sit in that scary moment where you just say, God, speak to me. Fill me with your love. Fill me with the, with the things that I've let overwhelm my life and, and that you would drain that out and fill me with your love. Because that's scary because we have to work on ourselves. Everything you've ever needed is, is found in Christ. That's what the word says. That doesn't mean that other people won't be there to speak life into you. It doesn't mean that, that you won't have people that will guide and lead you through this life and help you make decisions or walk through bad times. But I'm telling you, if your foundation isn't Jesus, it doesn't matter what anybody else will say. They'll make you feel good for a moment. They'll help you out for a season, but they will not fix your life. Nobody has that capability. Nobody. So we jump through here over here and we go, well, I'm just going to stay busy, right? This is why we have a problem with focus because we, we can't put our phones down long enough because if we do, then we work back to our thoughts. That's why we have to have noise at all times. I think something that we, we, we lack from the generations before us is how to be quiet, how to sit silent. One of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, he says that, it, that he would sit, he would literally lay down prostate, prostrate, not prostate, prostrate. <laughs> he wouldn't lay down with his booty, okay? Y'all think I'm a good pastor, y'all do, I'm horrible. It said that he would lay down like this for hours, just laying there in the presence of God. Hours, he would lay there having moments with God speaking to him praying worshiping hours in this position I've been here for like 45 seconds everybody's awkward think about that when's the last time sat silent with God for longer than 30 minutes. 30 minutes sounds like forever. I'm talking about silent. Like they didn't have iPhones and Spotify and YouTube music. They didn't have any of that. It said that he took a train from Chicago to somewhere and, and just laid in his, in his train car and literally half of the book of the pursuit of God was written in that train car. I love modern church, but man, we're missing so much of the move of God because we can't sit still. 
between Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and TV. You know that you know that the transitions in TV for for kids it's about every seven seconds, for adults it's about every 14 seconds. It's what trains our mind not to be able to sit still. Vines, how many remember those? You know, they're like, you know, 10 second videos that you try to fit everything into. What does it train our, our, our mind to do? See everything in the blink of an eye. Netflix, Hulu, all of that. What has it trained us to do? Oh God, there's a commercial. Can we fast forward through this? No, we can't. What do we do? I'm just as bad and I'm just as guilty. Fast forward. I hate when the little thing says, this program is not being able to fast forward. I don't want to see your stupid commercial. I want to watch my 25-minute show. The problem is, is that it trains us to treat God the same way. And God is not a modern God. He, he, he made all of this exist. He spoke it into it. So, so for him, he's like, hey, let's sit with this for a minute. But let's, let's process through this. Oh, you're dealing with something? Hey, I promise you, you're going to get through it, but it's not going to be in 24 hours or less. This isn't dominoes. You don't get it in 20 minutes or less, 30 minutes or less, 30 minutes or less. That's what it used to be. We want it to get done. And God says, I want it to be done right. I want you to be whole. I don't want you to just rush through it. I I don't want you to just function. I want you to be faithful. I don't want you to just survive. I want you to thrive in life. And so part of that is that we have to set up our life and maybe we have to sit in the healing moment and sit in the silence long enough to allow God to speak to us. We'll pray five-minute prayers and go, why doesn't God talk to me? It's because you're not allowing him to. And I'm not saying every prayer has to be hours long, but you know what? Sitting with God sometimes is important. Grab your coffee and sit with God. We, we get the benefit of worship music at the touch of our fingertips. Throw some worship music on in the background and just sit with God. Or maybe get in silence and sit with God. You don't think that his love won't speak to you when you truly pursue it? It will. It does. Let it be, God. Let it, let it be how you would want it to be, not how I would want it to be. In your timing and in your will. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness. But God, this last part that I just spoke, I really feel is like what's on my heart, God, that if we really want your love in our life, if we really want what Mary had, David had, Paul had, people like A.W. Tozer or Charles Finney or C.S. Lewis, they had we've got to be willing to do what they did we've got to sit with you we've got to get real with you God we've got to we've got to allow your love to be the starting point and God we can't work love into our life we've got to let love be the starting point and out of that flows a let it be mindset out of that flows a let it be work ethic out of that let it flows a let it be mindset on relationships emotional value, mental value. We've 
got to sit with you and sit in your love first. And so, God, I pray right now that those that are sitting here this morning, that God, that as I'm speaking, I believe that there are some that are in their heart are going, that's me. And so, God, I pray for them right where they're at. It's not about a prayer. It's not about the magic words. It's about their, their, their choices. They choose what they are going to do from this point on. Are they going to sit in your love? Or are they going to continue to do what they've always done, hoping for a different ex- exit? Hoping for a different action. Hoping for a different mindset. We always do what we've always done. We'll always get what we've always got. And so, God, we're praying for life change. And that means changing some of the ways that we do things, but mostly sitting with you. Let it be, God, because you loved us first. And out of that love, we choose you and we live in love. God, I pray blessing over this church. I pray pray blessing over its people that we would not just be a blessed people, but that we would bless people. That we would live out this word and love those around us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for those that give faithfully, financially to the church. Yes, it helps keep the lights on, but God, more importantly, it helps save souls. It helps reach our community, helps serve our community. And like the video shows, it helps us invest in other churches nationwide. Thank you for those people that give. We give you glory and honor in your name we pray. Amen. 